Hey everyone, welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola from clevergirlfinance.com. I am super excited to have you guys listening in today because I have an awesome new guest for you. She is a great friend of mine and her name is Limor Markman. She runs the platform Limor.money where she empowers women to be unapologetically financially fabulous. And she's also an expert real estate investor. And I just really wanted to have her on the podcast today because I get a lot of questions and I've gotten a lot of requests from those of you who listen and those of you who read the blog asking for more in-depth insights on what it takes to become successful with real estate investing. And so Limor is going to be sharing her expertise and her insights with all of us um, on the show today. But before we get into it, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, please do either on SoundCloud, iTunes, and now on Stitcher. And be sure to head over to clevergirlfinance.com and subscribe there as well so you can get access to my research library. So let's get into the conversation with Limor. Welcome to the show, Limor. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super pumped. So go ahead and introduce yourself to everyone. Who are you? Where are you? They want to know. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, I am a real estate investor and money expert. And I always say I sort of live at the intersection of real estate investing and uh, personal finance. And I'll tell you a bit more about how my journeys eventually collided. But like you said, I'm on a mission to empower women to be unapologetically financially fabulous. So tell us about that philosophy. What does it mean to be financially fabulous? Yeah, so I get that question a lot. And uh, financially fabulous to me is not like one set definition. Like you've saved a certain amount of money, now you're financially fabulous. It's about sort of the attitude and the intention that you empower around money. It's about making smart decisions, but not necessarily scrimping and saving and not living a fabulous life. It's kind of the compromise and where uh, being smart with your money allows you to live the life that you really want to live. So I guess it's like choosing to have the lifestyle of fabulosity with your finances. You got it. (laughs) Fabulosity all around. Yeah, but both in your finances, but it's like the peace of mind that you have in your finances so that you can go and live the life you want to live. So if that includes restaurants or if it includes travel or, you know, if it includes dressing nicely, that's absolutely fine. But you got to make the financial decisions that support the life you want to live. And I love that. I love that you have that philosophy because I find that a lot of times people think that building wealth or getting your finances in order means that you have to suffer and you have to sacrifice every single thing and you can't have any things that you enjoy because you're trying to focus on, you know, money. But it's it's not that's not what it's about. And I love how you encompass it in your um, in your philosophy. That's awesome. Let me tell you, there is zero suffering going on. I'm not cutting (laughs) any coupons. I'm not eating macaroni and cheese for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, it's about, uh, you know, negotiating and making a lot of extra money so that you can really live the life you want to live. Cause we got, we got one life and like, yeah, that's what you count, right? I always say that I want to try couponing, but I can't coupon to save my life, girl. I, I have <laughs> zero intention of ever cutting a coupon <laughs> ever. <laughs> okay. And I was just going to mention that me and Limor are actually recording this podcast on video. This is my first video podcast and it's so exciting to see her face. <laughs> I'm like super pumped. And actually, it's funny because Bola and I met on Instagram, I want to say two years ago now, we Uh each had like one post about money. And I don't know what it was, but we became instantaneously fast friends having conference calls all the time. And it's, it's so nice to be in collaboration with a woman who truly supports other women. And there's like zero competition, right? So let me share my good stuff with your audience and vice versa. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much, Limor. 
So we both talk about, you know, we're both focused on empowering women around their finances, but what are your thoughts on financial independence for women? I know you kind of talked about it in your philosophy, um, but for someone listening, you know, how do you define financial independence and what does it mean to them? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to start by even saying sort of what's kind of gotten me on this journey with financial independence. And, uh, you know, for me as as a young girl, uh, especially in my 20s, I saw what happened to my grandmother. So uh, my grandmother, a little bit of a different generation, she lived a life of luxury, never worked a day in her life, had her hair blow dried every week, you know, got together with her girlfriends for lunch. When she got bored, she redecorated the house. So like a completely different era that we cannot relate to. Um, But my grandfather had a very successful and thriving business. um, And so, you know, that was just the way they lived their lives. But when my grandfather passed away, he didn't have any life insurance. It wasn't a big thing that was talked about at the time. So, you know, we sold this big business that my grandfather had. And then my grandmother had this big stash of cash. And she lived off of it and lived off of it and lived off of it until there was nothing left. And so at that point, we sold the big luxurious house that she had redecorated so many times. And then she had another pile of money, you know, and she lived off of that and lived off of that until there was nothing left of that either. And so for me, in my 20s, at that point in time, I saw how her lifestyle had changed, how her happiness had changed. I mean, fortunately, my dad and his two brothers continued to fund her life. And, you know, by no means did she have a poor quality of life. But I just saw the impact it had on her and how she felt and behaved and reacted, you know, given that she had to rely on somebody else for for financial compensation and to, to fund what she needed for her life. And, you know, I, she never really said this, but I always had a bit of a sense that she felt a little bit guilty to be sent spending her son's money and money that could have been spent on her grandkids. And so um, when I saw this, like, subconsciously and very consciously, I made a decision to say, hey, I don't know what my life is going to look like, but I'm going to figure out this money stuff because I never, ever want to be in a situation where I have to rely on somebody else. I mean, divorce rates are so high and mm-hmm. fabulous women outlive out men, our men anyways. So, you know, why not be in a situation where we feel super empowered? So that's why financial independence is so important to me. And, you know, in terms of its definition, you know, I, I don't think that there's one set definition of financial independence, but just be able to feel comfortable that you can make decisions in your life. You know, if you're in a job and you absolutely hate it and it's like eating you alive inside, like be in a financial situation so that you have choices. If you're in a relationship and it's not working, have, you know, the capacity to make a decision and not be held back because of, because of your finances. I love that. And I completely agree with you hundred percent. I think that it's important as women that we become self-reliant and independent when it comes to our money. And it's not that, you know, you can't have the relationships, you can't build wealth with a partner, but it's have a plan for yourself. And you don't ever want to be in a situation where you don't have choices, right? When you have to rely on somebody else, um, because it's not something that you will like at all. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, no problem. You are an expert in real estate investing. Yes. (laughs) That's a big question for my audience all the time. They want to talk about, they they ask me questions about real estate investing and it was actually a requested podcast topic. So tell us about how you got into real estate investing. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, I had worked in the banking industry in Canada. I live up in Toronto for uh, 10 years and I was always fascinated with like how money works. So probably similar to your story, like what are the loopholes that are legit that I can take advantage of? Mm-hmm. But I just kind of felt like, how do I take it to the next level? So um, I found myself in sort of a two hour free real estate investing seminar. I know we all get those like little Um, notices in the mail or emails, sign up and come for free. But I went to one of those two hour seminars and I was like, okay, this is interesting. I need to learn more. Then I went to their full three day seminar. um, And I spent the full three days literally in the front seat with my jaw on the ground being like, holy crap. Like how has nobody ever taught this to me before? Like I know what I'm talking about with money. I'm in the industry, but no one has ever mentioned this to me. So Uh, I basically scribbled as many notes as I could all weekend long, and I decided to jump both feet in to learn how it works. So that weekend, I actually spent $20,000 across three credit cards and signed up for every single class that they had. I was like, I am all in on this. And uh, I started working with a mentor in the industry from their program and taking all of their classes. And I, I, I got started, you know, inside of a short period of time, I started doing um, a, a fair bit of investing. I now have investments in multiple provinces across Canada. Um, it's been four years since my journey got started, just over four years. And I now also teach real estate investing to women. I run seminars across Canada as well. Um, so, you know, my eyes were open to something that was completely, completely different. Um, and I was just so blessed, but I saw the opportunity. I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta learn how to do this because it's a pretty steep learning curve. You know, I would, mm-hmm. I would say it's almost like the day trading of real estate in the sense that like, you know, you're not going to start day trading without taking classes and knowing what you're doing because the stakes are really high, you know, and I'll say at this point in time, um, I feel like it's not risky at all because I know how to evaluate real estate deals and real estate transactions. Whereas in the beginning, like I could have lost my whole savings in like, (laughs) I don't know, one month or maybe even faster than that. Right. So it's, it's something where I think that, um, it's really, really powerful because real estate can create, and this has sort of been the biggest aha moment for me. Um, passive income really gives you the opportunity to get your life back because so many of us are really trading our time for money, right? We go to our job every single day, whether we are contractors or employers, but we have to actually give the hours of our life in order to be compensated. Whereas when you shift to something like real estate, you know, I don't have to be standing at the property for my tenants to pay me rent, right? So um, it really was a big mindset shift. Yeah, I, I think real estate is, it's a great thing to have in your portfolio. You know, there's really three key ways to build wealth. It's investing in small business, investing in the stock market, or investing in real estate. And it's something that if you are willing to put in the effort to learn like you did, Limor, um, it can be worth your while. And I just wanted to mention that, you know, you had mentioned that you had put $20,000 into starting out. And for those of you listening, you know, this was a calculated risk that she took. She had to mentor. <laughs> I had I had that money to spend. Yeah, she had the money. She had a mentor. She had, you know, the expert um, learning made available to her. So if you're thinking about it, um, don't just think, oh, I'm just going to go open, take my money out of my savings account and put it into real estate. You want to make sure you have the expert support and all of that. But Lima is going to talk about that, too. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because now, you know, when I when I teach classes and um, 
I always say to my students, you know, if you've got $20,000 or $10,000 or $50,000 or whatever the case may be, don't sink it into one property, invest it into your education. And then, you know, you can make money forever and ever going forward as a result of that, you know, because I think it's a little bit of the scarcity mindset. Okay, I got $50,000. I'm going to put it in one property. You know, if it goes south, you're you're in a difficult situation. The other thing that was a really big aha for me and, and maybe really interesting for a lot of your listeners is that, you know, at the beginning, I used my own money to do the real estate deals and the real estate transactions. But at this point, I actually don't really use any of my own money. Mm-hmm. I work with joint venture partners. So I will put the deal together. I will manage it. But somebody else will qualify for the mortgage and somebody else will put the money in. And so that enables my return to be infinite, because if you calculate return on investment, if I put no money in and I get money out, my return is infinite. But it also means that I'm not capped in my limit, right? Mm-hmm. So you may be thinking, oh, I can maybe qualify for two mortgages or maybe three if I'm in a really good situation and yeah. the bank really loves me. But, you know, the big true key to real estate is that it's not about necessarily doing it 100% yourself and using leverage and partnering with other people um, to start to generate that really massive incremental wealth. Yeah, when you when you minimize the amount you put in, you also minimize the amount of your risk. And by sure. leveraging, you know, other resources to get the funding for real estate, this then becomes a good use of even though it's debt, it's still a good use of debt as opposed to opening a store card at Forever 21 and buying clothes you're never going to wear after two months. <laughs> totally, it's a totally different story. But I will say, yeah, so. even though it, it minimizes your own risk when your money's not in the deal, when I partner with other people, I'm even more stringent than with my own money. I mean, I don't want to lose my own money. I think it was yes. Warren Buffett that said, you know, rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, see rule number one. Um, but, you know, when I work with other people and their, their money and they've got skin in the game, like I treat it like it was my parents' money. I'm that serious and, and careful with it because I want to make sure we all win together. Yeah, and that also helps to build your trust and, you know, all of that mm-hmm. too. So, um Awesome. So for someone who is just getting started and is thinking about real estate investing, maybe they've listened to a podcast, read a book, taken a class, and it's something they're thinking of pursuing. What are some of the first things they should do to make sure that, you know, they are on the right path? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a really, really good question. And I've got, I've got a couple of different answers in there. The first one I would say is if somebody, you know, has maybe just listened to this podcast or they've just read one book, I would say that's probably not enough in terms of the kinds of education and intricacies that you need to have in order to be successful within real estate. So I'm not trying to make the barrier really high of saying you must spend $20,000 on education. There's lots of different ways to do it, but you know, you want to make sure that you really know what you're doing and you're not kind of just following some hot tip or something, you know, Oh, this is a great property. Some realtor says to you, but really, uh, it's not. So I'd say, I mean, the first thing is make sure that you are properly educated. Um, kind of going to take you a little bit on a tangent here is that, you know, when we think about real estate, most of us just think like, oh, I'll just buy another apartment or a condo or a single family home and I'll rent it out. Um, and I would say that's probably the most popular way to invest in real estate. And a lot of people do that. But there's lots of different ways that you can actually invest in real estate that, you know, education will unlock for you. So, you know, 
I'll give you a little bit of an example, and I hope it's not too complicated here, but one of the things that I do is called a rent-to-own. So I work with a family whose credit is slightly bruised and they can't qualify for the mortgage. So they have to meet my stringent criteria to get into the program, but then they provide like maybe a 3 or a 4% down payment on the property. They choose the property that they want to own in the future, and then I will buy it with investors' money up front. And then they rent it at a little bit of a premium for the three years or two years, however long it takes to repair their credit, and we decide up front on what their future purchase price is going to be. So they've got skin in the game, Other, unlike a tenant who's maybe just paid last month's rent. Um, they're taking care of the property, and because you already know what the appreciation is going to look like, there's a lot stronger returns. So there's there's... I know that, you know, this is a lot and a mouthful for people who are hearing this the first time, but this is kind of why when I sat in that seminar, I was like, oh my gosh, I've never heard of these things. And it's probably one of four or five different strategies that I do, which are not conventional because the reality is, and I have people saying this all the time, like it's hard sometimes to make a property cash flow. If I go out and I buy a property and I have some tenants, you know, if they trash the place, if I have a few months of vacancy, if there's an issue with the roof all of a sudden, all of that positive cash flow that I was hoping to use, you know, for my, for my life, um, is now going towards incremental costs. Yeah. So, you know, and I hear all the time people saying, oh, well, you know, I'm going to invest because in five years time or 10 years time, it's going to appreciate. So I'm not saying that those are, are bad strategies, but, you know, part of being educated is learning that there's so many ways that are, much lower risk and have much higher returns from a real estate investing seminar as a perspective. That's really good information. I think that, like you said, most commonly people want to buy a multifamily property or they're moving out of their house. They want to rent out their house and the house becomes their, you know, investment. But I think it's important to weigh, and I'm going to ask you this next, but also, you know, weigh the, the options, the different types of real estate investing options. And Limor just, Limor just gave a really awesome example. But also, once you know the route you want to go, you want to start taking a look at the cost because it's not just I'm going to rent this for five years and make X amount of money and profit. It's you have to factor in those costs that you're going to be paying, you know, repairs, maintenance, whatever it is that you're responsible for as the owner or investor. You're going to have to factor that into what you get after you subtract from your profit. It's true. And sometimes like the unforeseen costs are exactly that. They're like crazy unforeseen. I mean, there was one property that I purchased was a really great deal. And this one was closer to a straight rental. Um, but you know, there were some unexpected things with my lawyer and we had to do some extra searches and all that kind of stuff. And my legal bill ended up being like three or $4,000 more than I expected. And so, you know, in a typical property, um, if, if all of a sudden you've got uh, a legal bill that's that large, or, you know, you haven't done a home inspection and all of a sudden there's uh, a cost you weren't expecting, you know, like a crack in the foundation, like it can be really, really costly. Um, so I think, you know, I shouldn't, that shouldn't deter you from wanting to do real estate. It should almost empower you and say, okay, well, if I figure out how to do this, if I invest in myself, if I've got mentors and people who are helping me and supporting me, like this can be absolutely incredible. So just to sort of give you the power of the magnitude of it is that, um, within two and a half years of starting my real estate journey, real estate was funding my life and I could leave my corporate job. So, you know, I, I don't want people to just sort of have a scarcity mindset like, oh, shoot, I shouldn't do real estate because all these things are going to happen. 
um, you know, I think if you, if you are open to having the kind of support that you really need and you want to embark on this journey, like in my opinion, nothing can be more powerful and have a greater magnitude on your life and your finances than investing in real estate. And I honestly, truly believe that, which is why I I teach women about investing um, as much as I possibly can. And Limar lives it, you know, she breathes it. This is what she does. It funds her life. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely great to have that diversification in your finances, you know, your real estate investments, your stock investments, if you're inclined to be a small business owner or even invest in small business. Um, and I think it's really important to explore and there's no such thing as I can't. I think that regardless of what path you choose to invest your money, you're going to have to educate yourself so you can make smart decisions, so you can take the calculated risks. And it all comes with educating yourself and time and experience. And so if you know you want to become a real estate investor, then you're going to have to dedicate the time and the, you know, effort. If you know you want to pay off debt, it's the same thing. You have to educate yourself on how to create a strategy, dedicate the time, make the effort. So like Limor was saying, it's not about, oh, I can't do this because it sounds too complicated. It's about opening your mind up to think, oh my goodness, this sounds like an amazing opportunity. What can I do to learn? Who can I find to help me? What kind of mentors can support me? What, you know, education, book, conferences, lectures, um, all kinds of things can help you. So I have a couple uh, real estate investments, and um, it's not as complicated as it would seem. Um, you just yeah, have to and make I, sure I don't mean you... to like overcomplicate this for for no. your listeners. <laughs> I don't want to scare people away. Um, but you know, like it's it's just be aware and ready to know that it is a big investment, and if you do it right, the gains are exponential, right? Um, but just make sure that you know what you're doing. I don't want anyone to listen to this discussion and then be like losing their shirt as a result of that, right? Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention the disclaimer <laughs> is that this is for educated purposes only. Limor, Limor is not your, she is not your investment advisor <laughs> unless you actually decide to reach out to her and talk to her about your unique situation, okay? Yeah, so. and I'm actually not a certified anything other than certified fabulous, so, you know. <laughs> I love it, certified fabulous. I just came up with that, but I think I need to, I think I need to use that now. Um, but I think what's also really neat, I mean, you were talking about multiple vehicles, whether it's like the stock market, um, you know, or a business, like it's an investment level, like time, money, you know, heart, body, and soul. Um, but the thing that I really love about real estate is that if you put in the time and effort, you actually own a tangible asset. So if I like get educated on, you know, stock investing and, uh, I purchase something and it goes wrong, you know, and I can lose all my money. There's no like insurance to get your stock money back. Right. Whereas with a piece of real estate, a, a house, a building, um, you know, if it burns down, the insurance company will pay me back. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, the fact that it's a tangible asset that I can see it is easier for me to understand. And I feel like there's a level of safety and security that, um, made it for me a worthwhile, avenue to really learn, explore, and take advantage of. Yeah, yeah. Um, Before I ask the next question, I just want to mention two things that you talked about, and it's stuff that I talk about on the podcast just for the listeners. Um, The first thing you talked about was having a lawyer, and even though you had legal fees, um, if you didn't have the lawyer, you could potentially have had more fees, right, or more costs or more things involved. Oh, yeah. I pay top dollar for my lawyers and accountants, like... Yeah, one of my friends says to me, if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. So, yes, I paid top dollar for 
all of my uh, all of my help to make sure. Like same thing, right? I spent twenty thousand dollars. I got the best mentors I could mm-hmm. get, and it allowed me to do something that I could never have otherwise done. So yeah. So I, I wanted to just point out to you guys listening that you know in real estate business, whatever it is that you're doing. If you get to a point where you feel like this is over your head, you don't understand stuff, get the resources you need, especially when it comes to legal legal needs, you know, accounting needs. And then the other thing that Lee Moore had mentioned was insurance. Like if the if one of her properties burns down, you know, she has insurance. And this is a I think this is a topic that I've done in the past or on, on the blog. I have a blog post on insurance and I actually have a guest coming on who's gonna be talking to us about insurance. But it's making sure you have the right kind of insurance because not having the right kind of insurance can completely derail your entire, your life plans. And I'm glad that you mentioned that, you know, not, you're not just investing in real estate, but you have the right kind of insurance so that if something does happen, you're covered and you, you know, you have protection over your assets, which are really expensive assets. So I'm glad I mentioned that. Yeah. And I mean, as much as I've acquired a lot of knowledge on this journey. Like it is all about the experts. Like, you know, my accountant is specialized in real estate. My mortgage broker focuses on people with investment properties. You know, I've got an insurance broker that specializes on investment properties. So, you know, the list goes, goes on and on, but making sure that like, you know, I can come up with a question, but then I've got somebody who can help me figure out the answers. Yeah, exactly. And I agree. It's all about the experts. Even I have my experts. I have an accountant because, you know, when it comes to tax time, I'm not a tax specialist. I don't keep up with tax laws. And in real estate, that's really <laughs> important to know too, right? Oh, huge. And so, you know, get the help that you need. Yeah. Um, Can I just actually add one more quick thing on that? Um, Is that I find a lot of people who are sort of new to investing don't necessarily take into consideration is that if you do end up buying, you know, just a second property or if you move out of your current one and you buy another one and you're going to rent it out. um, One thing that I see that a lot of new investors don't do and is worth exploring because in many instances can be to your advantage is putting your rental property inside of a corporation or inside an LLC. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the, the biggest mistakes that I see investors doing because essentially what you're doing is combining all aspects of your financial life. And with a real estate property, you know, if someone slips and falls in front of your property, they legit can sue you. You know, if there is an issue, you don't want that ability to sue you to come into your personal life. In the same way, you know, if you legitimately are driving down the street and you hit somebody Mm -hmm. by accident, you know, and they sue you, they can no longer go after your rental property if it's in a separate entity. Um, There's also a lot of tax advantages and I could go on and on for hours, even though I'm totally not an accountant. (laughs) Uh, But one of the sort of novice mistakes that, that I see is that, you know, when people are first getting started, they don't take it into consideration. I'm not saying it's the right solution for everybody, but I think it's a very important thing to deliberate, have a good discussion with an accountant to see if it is the right move for you when you're buying rental property. That is an excellent point. And I'm so glad that you brought it up because it's essentially managing your real estate investments as a business, which is what it is in a sense, a business. And it's making sure that you you limit your liability from your personal life and, you know, what people can go after if, God forbid, something happens. That's an excellent point, Limora. Thank you for mentioning it. No problem. So let's say I am a newbie real estate investor. I've gotten some education. I kind of know stuff, you know, and I'm ready to buy yeah. a property. <laughs> yeah. How do I determine that property X is a good investment? Like, what are the key indicators I should be looking for in terms of, like, 
I don't know, rents versus mortgage and the other factors that you would look for as a real estate investor? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing that I would look at is, is a bit more macro is the area. What is, what is happening in the market? So, um, you know, obviously we can't, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know if the markets are going to go up, if they're going to go down. We don't know if they're going to go sideways. In actual fact, I can say with certain uh, amount of comfort that they will do all of the above. Um, and so with that being in mind, I try to always invest where I see that the market is at least on an upward trajectory. Now, some people may think, okay, I'm going to buy a property and hold it for 25, 30, 40, 50 years. That's one strategy. Um, you know, I definitely hold properties for a much shorter duration of time, um, especially in like the example of the rent to owns that I mentioned, you know, it, it might be three years. So if it's going to be three years, I'm going to choose a market where I'm looking at the appreciation and I'm looking at um, all the real estate statistics and the economic factors to say, hey, are there new jobs there? Is there a lot of diversification? Are they building roads? Are there schools? Are there hospitals? Like, is the external environment in a positive um, place where, you know, now I'm looking at a micro property inside that area, but is it in fact supporting it? So that's sort of the first thing I would look at. Um, and then the second thing is really, you know, the property itself is super important. So uh, I always like to buy below fair market value. Um, it doesn't mean that it's so when you buy a property or when properties are out on the market, typically they can be compared to other properties. And then, you know, you'll know what sort of is the fair value price at that point in time. Um, when I'm buying for investment purposes, I always try to buy below fair market value. So it may mean it may take me a little longer. It may be that there's more negotiating. It may be that I need to find a house where, you know, the seller is super motivated because they are getting divorced or maybe they're moving into a retirement home, but there's something in their life situation where they are maybe more comfortable getting rid of the property quickly rather than getting top dollar. Um, and then making sure that the property in fact cash flows. And that means that I take all of the expenses into consideration. So, you know, what is the market rent I can get in that area? Um, taking into consideration what's going to be my mortgage, my property tax, my insurance. Uh, you know, in most instances, I have things like water and hydro covered by my tenants, but, you know, um, is that typical for that particular area? Um, other costs like making sure I've got money set aside for a maintenance or slush fund so that if something goes sideways, you know, I, I make sure that I've got the funds to cover that. And then um, once I sort of look at all of those numbers together and including, you know, some vacancy numbers, because sometimes I'll see people be like looking at their numbers and it's like, oh, it's going to be perfect as long as I have someone in there every month because, you know, somebody moves out, you've got two months of vacancy, there goes all your cash flow. You're like, well, what was the whole point of this, right? I mean, keeping in mind that the rent will cover the mortgage, so you'll have that sort of uh, pay down of the mortgage, which will be a benefit for you. Um, but it doesn't help if you're only going to reach that benefit in five years or 10 years or whenever the case is. Um, so you want to make sure you're cash flowing on a regular basis. So like I said, starting with the macro area and then looking at the property, trying to buy below fair market value wherever possible. Um, and then really taking into consideration all of the costs that you will have every single month. And if there is no money left over at the end of every month, that is not a good investment. Like I hate when people say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm buying for appreciation in the future and equity pay down. But every month, you know, from their employer's paycheck, they need to put in a few hundred dollars towards their investment property. That is, in my opinion, investing in real estate the wrong way. Yeah. You know, that buying for appreciation 
I don't think a lot of people actually seriously weigh what it means. Because when you say you're only going to buy for appreciation, you still have to factor in all of your costs, your mortgage payments, your expenses, your taxes, your closing costs, your seller's fees, all that stuff to make sure you come in under the appreciation. Otherwise, the chances of that being like, you know, yeah. So I agree. You have to have monthly positive cash flow. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah. It drives me bananas because you know what? Like the whole point is you want to live a great life. You want to have more money, more freedom, you do not want to be in a situation where like you're stressed about this and it's causing you a headache. Like real estate is supposed to free you. And so, you know, there's no reason why you can't upfront make the evaluation and the decision to invest in real estate in a way that like amplifies and makes your life way better. Yeah. I, I love your approach, Limor. And if you guys are listening to this and you're commuting or you're working out, come back with your notebook. <laughs> she gave us some really excellent points on what to look for. And just, you know, this has been awesome. So let's kind of go on a more on a lighter note. Sure. So um, tell me, what is your favorite book on money? And it could be real estate or personal finances. What's your favorite money book? So I'm actually going to give you two. Okay. Uh, the first one, super obvious, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is like <laughs> the grandfather of all real estate. I would feel bad if I didn't say that one. I have uh, it right here too. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and actually there's a whole bunch of great follow-up books, like there's the Cashflow Quadrants and uh, Rich Woman, which um, Kim Kiyosaki wrote, which is really cool. I know you're probably a big fan of that one. Um, so yeah, definitely the real estate one because that was – an initial unlock for me. Um, but another one that I really love is secrets of a millionaire mind, uh, which is T Harv Ecker. Yes. Um, and, and it's so important because I think with all the financial conversations I've had and Bola, I'm sure you probably agree. And if you don't let me know, um, but with all the, <laughs> feel free to have your own opinion here. Uh, but with all the conversations that I've had about money, I really truly believe that so much of it comes down to mindset. And I see that in real estate all the time in that, you know, you present someone the opportunity and when their first reaction is, how are you trying to scam me? What's going to go wrong? How is everything going to fall apart? You know, no matter how much money you have, if that's your first response when I bring you a real estate opportunity, I just say thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, and then I'm done. Like, I never talk to money again. (laughs) Uh, But there's so many people, and it's not about how much money you have. It's about how you view the world, right? You know, if, if I bring an opportunity to you and you say, wow, how can I make this work? It doesn't mean you have to follow through in its entirety, but if the first questions you have of, how do we all win together? How can I make this work? How does this make my life better? Your your whole relationship with money and life is going to be so profoundly different. So, I mean, I use those examples of, of real estate, but I'm sure you see it all the time. You know, when when you're talking to people about money, at the end of the day, your mindset and your beliefs are really going to have such a profound impact on what's actually in your bank account. I'm all about mindset. I talk about it all the time on this podcast, and I'm a firm believer that your mindset is the foundation of what you accomplish in your life. The way you think about things, the way you speak speak about things, the way you look at things, and you have to decide in your head, in your heart, that you can accomplish something, you can do something, you can be successful at something. Otherwise, if you set that set self-limitation and you set that scarcity mindset, doesn't matter what anybody tells you, doesn't matter how many books you read, doesn't matter how many courses you take, you're not going to you're not going to be able to do it. So, yeah, I, I'm all about mindset. It's it's so important. I think 
just your outlook on life and what you can accomplish, no matter what your situation is right now, it's critical. It's really, really important. I talk about it all the time. So guys, mindset, mindset. That's why that's why one of the books that I really love is Secrets of a Millionaire Mind. Like I just think it's so critical. So I asked this question to all the guests. Um, so what is your clever girl superpower? Oh, I love I love this question. Um, <laughs> my my clever girl superpower is I am a master negotiator. I am like it, it comes back to mindset, but I'm very, very, very creative. And I'm going to own this because I this is part of my platform that you got to be unapologetically financially fabulous. Mm-hmm. And I think that negotiating is, is absolutely so critical. So whether it's something as small as like, you know, calling your cell phone company and negotiating down your bills or it's talking to your boss or, you know, in the sphere of real estate, I've had a lot more opportunity to flex my negotiation muscles. And it's not only about like where it adds on price. Like, you know, maybe it could be like, we'll close a little bit later, or maybe I can start my renovation while you still own the property. Or maybe you guarantee the rents for a duration of time and then I'll pay you a higher price. Like there's so many different ways that you can find win-win outcomes that I think, um, you know, you should really challenge yourself. So I would say, uh, for me, my clever girl superpower is a master negotiator and it's, I never aspire to win at somebody else's expense. Like we can all win together. Like there is more than enough money for all of us to have a lot. I love it. I love it. And I think that negotiating is something that women struggle with um, because we are afraid of losing an opportunity. But one thing I've learned is that for the most part, the worst thing that could possibly happen is they say, or whatever you're, whoever you're negotiating with says no, and you keep it moving. So don't be afraid to negotiate. Don't be able to. Ask, don't be afraid to ask for what you're worth or what you want or what you want to make happen. Um, yeah, and it doesn't have to be a demand. It can be a dialogue. Like, yeah. you know. And I think it's funny. Um, I took a negotiations class back in university, and uh, we had this exercise where the room was divided into two areas. Sorry, I'm going on a bit of a tangent here. But the room was divided into into two groups and we each got like our secret information that we had to read. And the one group, um, you know, was curing cancer and they needed the uh, orange uh, peel in order to have an ingredient in whatever they were doing. And the other group was curing some other like crazy disease and they needed the inside of the orange. And we were negotiating about this orange field, this orange growth. (laughs) And neither, this is really funny, but neither side knew what the other side's position was. And we all prepared, we had these arguments and we had no idea where the other team was at. And we spent the whole day, like literally butting heads about, it's more important to me. No, it's more important to me. No, like we need it. No, our, our thing is so important. And at the end of the day, what nobody arrived at and what was kind of the answer and the lesson of the class is that in reality, we both could have won if we just really shared what was our true reason for wanting um, to have that negotiated outcome. And oh, I think yeah. that it's so important, right? Like I may say, yes, I really need this price. But what's maybe more important to me, this price, is that, um, I don't know, I close at a later date or, uh, you know, especially like with employers, like, you know, you want more money. But maybe the employer doesn't care to give you a cell phone and cover your costs and, you know, let you use their office for a whole bunch of other things that you need in your life. Maybe you're running your your kids' school meetings, but there's so many other outcomes when you just stay so fixated on the one thing that you want 
um, and you don't really show your cards, you end up in a situation where nobody wins. So um, that's my university negotiation story. (laughs) Thank you for sharing. (laughs) So, Limor, this has been awesome. I appreciate you spending your time with us today and sharing your insights and your expertise. Um, So how can folks listening, listening keep up with you, keep in touch with you, reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first thing that I'll say is that um, it's a pleasure to be here. So thank you for having me. Um, If folks were interested and like the idea of having a different mindset and making money through real estate and multiple streams of income, um, I actually have a a free gift where they can download my ebook called The Game-Changing Financially Fabulous Strategies That No One Ever Told You. And they can do that by texting the word fabulous to 77982. So the ebook's called The Game-Changing Financially Fabulous Strategies that no one ever told you and on your cell phone just text the word fabulous to 77982 um, but if you if you want to interact more with me you can come on over to uh, www.leemore.money I have a YouTube channel called Leemore it's L-I-M-O-R um, I put up new videos every single week I'm on all social media with a name like Leemore L-I-M-O-R um, I'm super easy to find <laughs> yeah and I will add the link to I add the details on the free ebook download in the show notes as well as the books we talked about your website and your youtube link and your social media too awesome thank you so much for having me i hope that uh your your listeners got a little bit of a taste and an insight about how things can be done a little different with real estate yeah i definitely think that they will enjoy this one so thank you limor you're very welcome So I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Limor definitely shared a ton of really useful information for those of you who are interested in investing in real estate. And if you love what you've listened to, please, please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review and tell someone about it. I'll be back again real soon with another episode. Thank you so much for listening.